Hi, everyone. It's Lopez Radio, episode 353. 353 of these goddamn things. It's at Lopez Radio for all social media. LopezRadio.com is where you found us or wherever you get your podcast. Joining me today is a gentleman who is no stranger to the podcast. He's uh, no stranger to uh, podcasting, writing books. I mean, this guy does it all. I'm going to be honest. He made pimento cheese at some point, I think. I think he did. Um, he uh, he's, he's a longtime friend of the show. I think he was like the second guest ever on Lopez Radio. Um, and he is a wonderful gentleman. You can follow him at Blake Braddy on Twitter. And uh, you can check out his books. He's got the Rolson McCain series. He's got a book called Suicide Blondes, which I'm going to ask him about. And uh, he actually just wrapped up the Rolson McCain series, too. I mean, this guy just does it all. It's, uh, it's T. Blake Braddy, my buddy. Tyler, what's up, man? How's it going? Hey there. Thank you for uh, such a gracious introduction. Uh, it sounds a lot more impressive than it is in reality, but thank you. <laughs> it's super impressive to me. Like yeah. I, I well, look at I look at my bookshelf and I'm like, you know, a buddy of mine wrote some of those books that are sitting there, and it's kind of yeah, fucking cool. Well, yeah. The 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 benefit of being an independent person is that you can just do things, and uh, you don't know how that's going to turn out. It's all about process and how. <laughs> Uh, you go if you do something every single day. Eventually, you accomplish something. So, yeah. And then sometimes you're like me, and you just run away from it, which is like what I did in my podcast. I was like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I just ran away for a little while. Well, my- I mean, you know, you to your credit, you did. You were really intense about it and intentional about it, and that you know that that the kind of uh, attention you paid to your podcast. I mean, you did 10 minute fight round. You did, you were doing a daily thing at one point, which was not your podcast. Right. I mean, you put a lot of time in front of a microphone. And so that can, I mean, after I published the third Rolson McCain book, uh, dirt merchant, I had to take, I took an entire, I took a year off mm. because I was burned out. That book was 600 pages and it was just, it was more than I think my talent allowed for. And then we had my son and I took a, like basically took two years off from, from writing because I just needed a break. It's easy to get burned out and it, it's hard to get back on the horse. Yeah. Like I'm just getting back to podcasting. Like I, you know, I just started a new podcast and like I, I took almost two years off of podcasting. Yeah. And that was one of the other things that, I, that obviously we're going to get to in a second, but like Music City Murder is his new podcast. You can find it just about anywhere you get your podcasts. Just look up Music City Murder. It's got wonderful, wonderful album art, so to speak. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. It um, looks really good. Uh, did you get? Did you commission someone to do that? Did you do it yourself? No, I just did it on Canva. Like that's just I. Pro- I don't know if I have the right even to use it. So <laughs> there, you know, there could be a copyright issue. But I'm trying to get a friend. So he ultimately, what I want to do with the cover art is I want to make an old timey postcard. Mm. Uh, like if you know um, Bruce Springsteen's first album, "Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey," it's like an old timey postcard. I wanted to say "Welcome to Music City Murder," but in like that old, like you know what i'm saying the old yeah. postcard font where you can see pictures in the background like that sort of thing yeah yeah welcome it's, welcome to gainesville kind of shit <laughs> yeah 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 exactly um but yeah no like uh after i had a kid there were th- some things that had to go away and like unfortunately podcasting was one of the there two things went away like i kept writing but um exercise and podcasting like there was a year where i was just like a, a sack of shit i mm. we it, it, it's just that's what happens. Like when you have a kid, you're like, all my energy goes to this little guy and 
I just didn't have the energy to like go running. Happy Father's Day, by the way. We're like the day before oh, yeah. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, man. Yeah. Um, I yeah. did. You know, you did, you kind of touched on it. So, so the past couple of podcasts, I've had streamers on, and we've talked about, uh, you right. know, fatigue in that in that realm. And it's interesting that you brought up, uh, you know, at the end of the last Rolson McCain novel, Dirt Merchant, you were you were very fatigued and burnout. Like burn- when when I read that, when I read it, I was like, there's so much going on here. How's he? You know. Because there is a lot going on in that one book. I know you made it bigger than the rest of them, and I was like, I was like, there is a lot going on here. Like it, it was just like you're like whipping your head back and forth, like, oh my goodness, what's right. going to happen? And like, I was wondering if that was a fatiguing thing for you, because I mean, you it had was. a lot to juggle. Well, I did something really stupid. Okay. Uh, I had this idea that I would release a release a book in paperback every March, and. With a 300-page book, that's 90,000 words. That's, like, doable. But with a book that's 600 pages, that's not doable. Especially, like, this was my attempt to be James O'Roy. Like, I was trying to write my own L.A. Confidential or, Black, you know, Black Dahlia. And it's just a really complicated book. It had a lot of ideas. And I will just – it wasn't done. And so I spent the last three weeks of that book um, editing day and night. I mean, like, seven hours a day editing. Yeah. and. Um, I, I was so far behind that I was, I had a book event here in Nashville and didn't have the books. Like I ordered them and they were delayed. And so I had to have a book event without books and it was like super embarrassing. And like, it was one of, uh, it was a failure that reminded me and it humbled me and made me think that, um, you know, you've got to make sure it's, you know, done and complete. Like you can't just go by a timeline. It's got to be about the process. You've got to know that the book is done. Right. A lot of ways that book that book is at some point i'm gonna go back and uh cut that book into pieces so that it's more manageable for people because it's just a big slog i mean it's a hundred and i think a hundred and seventy five thousand words jesus that's what's huge it was a, it was a big one and i was I'm, you know do you think oh, well obviously you said you're gonna go ahead and cut it to pieces so now my question of like would you would you have just pushed if you had had you could rewind right? Would you have just been like, I, it's not ready. I'm gonna cancel the. I, I gotta not yeah. hit. Good. Well, something I thought of after I finished it was that there's a whole segment that's kind of adjacent to the novel called the Red Headed Stranger or the Red Eyed Stranger. It's based on Willie Nelson's Red Eyed Stranger or Red Headed Stranger. And I would have I would have cut that out, made it kind of an interstitial book on its own, because even that part is like a novella. It's like 30,000 words. So I would have cut that out and then kind of cut the other two books into two chunks and had like a narrative that resolves and then pick up with another book. But in my head, I thought, OK, I've got the format down. Now I want to see how big I can go. And I think everybody kind of has to have that kind of brush against their own the limits of their own ability. Mm. Uh, you know, Stephen King, even when he started, he wrote Carrie, which is a fairly modest novel and not one of my favorites, but he did Salem's Lot. And he talks about how that was it wasn't a failure in a lot of ways. He says it's one of his favorite books, but it's really clunky and big. And he was really ambitious with it. And, you know, you can read that in a lot of that book. So I think that Dirt Merchant was kind of my version of that. I think a lot of creators and, and people who who put things together to put out into the world, um, honestly, like they they rub up against some some form of that you know be it me burning out podcasting be it you know someone who you know likes to paint that took on too many commissions and now they're like now now everything's piled up like i think you have to kind of 
find that. It's just like when you're when you're younger and you're going out and partying with your friends. Like you find your limit at some point. You're like, oh, right. This is the line I don't cross over. This is this is where I need to stay around. You know. Oh, I hit bottom. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's always the point where like I'm not gonna do this for a while. Like I mean, that's how I stopped drinking. Was I, I had just such a horrible night that I said I need. I think I need a break from this. I think if I keep going like this, I'm gonna die. And eventually it's just like, oh, this is just a better way of life for me. I, this is my preference. And that's how it's been for eight eight years now going on nine years. So I can't believe that that's, that's nuts. Cause I remember, I remember the first couple of times we met, we were hanging out like at bars and, and having drinks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But by the time, I think by the time you were actually on the podcast, you were done. I'm pretty sure. I think the first time I don't so, because I think I was dating Kate at that point, but um, yeah, it it just was. I mean, you know, my best friend, our our mutual friend Johnny is, you know, he's a big dude. He's like six three. You know, he's he's three. You know, big three guy. deuces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, trying to go toe to toe with that with that guy and a you know, I mean, he makes like it look contest. easy. <laughs> yeah, and I just had a. I had a I had a bad night and that it showed me that I need to rethink this. Like it was one of those things where 99 times out of 100 everything was fine. Yeah. And then that 100th time it was like, "Oh, this is a problem." Yeah, this is not this is not a good thing. Yeah. Um and in town it's harder to like know what that is because everyone has I mean, every it's Athens is kind of a drinking town and so the stories that I would tell in Athens, people were like, ha, that's a fun night out. And then when I moved to Nashville, when I finally had the courage to kind of tell my coworkers that, you know, hey, I don't drink and here's why. When I told some of my stories, they were horrified. They were like, yes, that's a great idea for you not to be drinking. <laughs> and yeah. so I think that's the culture of drinking in, in Athens is much different from what it is in Nashville. There's definitely a higher tolerance for crazy stories in Athens. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, and it's, and it's any college town. Like, and you can, you know, right. me and me and the wife and, and a lot of other people, I'm sure, but forever, we just called it never, never land. Like you could, you could, you could yeah. literally thrive because it's cheap enough to live here and cheap enough to drink that you could maintain a steady habit of just going out all the time and really not right. be broken. But you know, you see those people who are still downtown and you're just kind of like, Oh, oh yeah. man, <laughs> there's always, it's hard to know when, because in your mind you can always think that, Oh no, I know what I'm doing here. Right. And so it's weird to like, you, you are not the, per, you are not the arbiter of cool in that way. Like you are not the person to des- who decides, Oh, it, you've had enough. Like it's the, it's the culture around you is like, that guy shouldn't be downtown. Yeah. <laughs> or you have your own segment, you know, like that guy's way too old to be here. Like, what is he doing? I always told myself, I was like, I'm not going to be, I can't be the, the, why is that guy here guy? I can't, I don't want yeah. <laughs> to hard. It's tough. It, it, well, and it's tough to come to grips because people don't like, people don't like admitting they're wrong. People don't like admitting that they're yeah. getting older. People don't just don't like to admit that things are changing. And, yeah. and you know, obviously I, knowing that you were coming on and, and I think anybody who's a fan of the podcast, like knows we're going to get into what's going on in the world, uh, in a minute, but, yeah. but like, yeah, get there. but I think, I think people do have a tough time. Like, and, and I think that that kind of circles around back to you being an author, you know, people who podcast, people who create content, like they have a tough time knowing I'm going to, I'm redlining right now. And it's not until yeah. they hit that burnout and they're like, fuck this for a little while that they're like, okay. Right. And well, and it's, 
Go ahead. No, it, it's just it's just hard to admit that to yourself because I think it's hard, especially when it's something you care about so much, like your books. I know you really, really give a fuck about your books, so it's yeah, like absolutely. it's probably hard to be like, man, I'm I'm not doing this right. It's it's hard it to needs come to another that. draft. Yeah, right. like this needs more work. Mm-hmm. It's not ready, even though you've convinced yourself it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like. I, you know, and also like what platform, what platforms are appropriate? Like I, you know, I'm trying to sort of put some content on a YouTube channel for the purposes of making myself seem less anonymous to people who might follow my content, like people who might buy the books. I'm creating YouTube videos that are kind of not around writing necessarily, but just to say like, here is who I am as a person. Um, They're not like, they're not colorful and they're not trying to draw people in. They're not like, Hey guys, I'm doing a YouTube. I'm not doing a PewDiePie voice and stuff. It's just who I am. And so, you know, I recently listened to a podcast called rabbit hole. It's done by the New York times. Have you heard of it? No, I'm writing it down right now though. So I can check it out. It's, it's it's fascinating. It's an eight part series about how YouTube built an algorithm to make people watch more YouTube. And so it's kind of simultaneously about how YouTube can draw people into really unsavory movements. There's a guy who goes from being a, a, an Obama supporter to uh, becoming a kind of white nationalist over the court. And it's just through his YouTube habits and how these suggested videos and like what plays next, like how their algorithm, what it does is it doesn't really change what you view. It just kind of slot slowly slides you into this, you know, rabbit hole of information and sort of at the end of the podcast they talk about tiktok they're like well youtube is kind of the old man's game now like youtube is the facebook of whatever and um i think that's where i'm i think i'm going to consciously draw the line there where it's like i i'm too old for tiktok i feel like tiktok is your college bar yeah tiktok (laughs) is my college bar that'd be a good title uh, because I mean, I was kind of at a fine age. I mean, TikTok is really just a more sophisticated version of Vine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that I, the way that it presents information and it asks people to present themselves is not aligned with how I see the world. And so I don't know that I, like I would have to, there would have to be a content creator to do something that's my age. That'd be like, that's my way in, but I mostly it's through young, like young people are on it. And so, um, I think that, you know, that's kind of the problem of like trying to stay relevant in a media saturated environment is to like, you don't, because I even thought like, man, when I started making YouTube videos, I thought, wow, this is fun. I like doing this and I wish I had started sooner. And I, I thought for a brief minute about TikTok, and I thought, I mean, if I get in now, I'll be, still in the early stages of it, you know, grandparents aren't on it yet, but I don't know that that's right. Like, I don't know if I think, I wonder if I should just be like, okay, that's the little black dress I shouldn't wear out. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Like Bill Burr's always kind of had a thing where he said, look, it's the, it's the young people's world. Now I need to step out of the way, let them have their fun. I'm going to go be an old grumpy asshole at my house. It's, it's, it's the yeah. same way with media. It, it is. And, you know, um, some of the people that I got into Twitch, you know, because of, because of watching what they do, um, and the people who are mostly successful right now are people who are about our age. And I think right. that's largely to do with the fact that they can't, they're, they're in a position where they've seen enough of the world that they can kind of 
put together something that's that makes sense to watch sometimes and they can most right. of them have jobs that can afford the equipment needed to make a really good production um, right but at the same time some of the more there there are really wildly popular channels on YouTube and on on Twitch that are really low production value it's just right well yeah the personality just kind of soars over that what do you think is the most important part of that do you think do you think product i mean i know there it, there is no either or there like you said there, there are people on both sides of that mm -hmm. but what would you say is paramount is it the personality that you bring or sort of your ability to um like have a production that people would that that is like easy on the eye well with twitch because it's because it's live i would say an interaction personality it goes in this order personality yeah. interaction um sound quality and then you can worry about video right. stuff like it's you you've listened to shitty podcasts where you're like i yeah. can't hear this anymore it's just too much it's so distracting when you tune into someone's channel or watch a youtube video or what listen to a podcast that sounds like garbage like you just got to have it and you can be like you couldn't you know you gotta you gotta spend a little bit of money to have something decent you know i'm not saying right. get what i've got don't you don't need to do that but have a little you have bit a of thought. devoted you have a, a bunker yeah yeah i feel like i live in a bunker um yeah i feel like this is my safe my safe room yeah um, it's your safe it's your safe space. <laughs> um but yeah i, I would say the sound will be a huge distraction. So I think audio quality is big. Um, but the personality, man, some people yeah. can have all the best equipment in the world, but can they hold someone's attention or are they just sitting there staring at the screen, playing a video game and not talking to their chat, you know? So then what is more important? It, your like your ability at a specific game or your ability to give commentary about that game? Commentary and interaction with your um Okay, so it doesn't audience. matter how good you are necessarily. I like you suck don't have to video games. <laughs> <laughs> I am awful, but my my chat comes in and there's like they like to make fun of me. That's like a thing. It's like we get to make fun of how awful yeah. you are at video games, but it's also <laughs> the conversation that happens while right. the video games are. It's it's always been a backdrop the video game for me, and I think a lot yeah. of people think that they have to be gods at a game, like. Yeah there are people who are popular because they are really good, but you're never going to like, most likely you're never going to be as good as someone that's like shroud right. or, you know, ninja or someone like that. You're just not, mm -hmm. it's talent, you know? Yeah. 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 That, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It, yeah, it's just, there was a time where I wanted to dip my toe into that world and I just don't, I don't know that I have like, I, I don't have, I don't know. There's something that I'm missing to be able to do like a Twitch stream. And I just respect the hell out of you for doing it. Cause I think it's so cool. It's uh, it's, it's interesting. I think, I mean, I think anyone could do it. It just, ha you have to find what resonates with you about it. Like does, yeah. maybe it's not playing video games at the same time as talking to people, but yeah. to me, it's just, you know, cracking jokes and having fun and really just providing an area for people to come hang out. And not have to worry right. about you know anything else. We don't really get heavy about politics. We don't really get heavy. It'll come up, but you know I'm pretty. You know we'll make our points and we'll just I'll be like, all right, all right, all right. Let's go back to the dick jokes, please. Yeah. Let's go back to the dick jokes because, or to you know why you don't like pineapple on pizza or some shit like that. You know it's just yeah, yeah. it's easy to talk about food and all the stuff that everybody can kind of resonate with because it's it's really easy to get into a space and, and you know that will that will actually start dividing people. Um, the big but, question is, do you like pineapple on pizza? I don't mind it. I really don't. 
I, I think I, you know, a lot of people do the ham and pineapple. I actually think pepperoni and pineapple is not a terrible combination. I like spi- like so. One, my favorite pizza that involves pineapple is from a place called Amici. You've been there before, I'm sure. Um, it's their their Hawaiian pizza is ham, bacon, pineapple, and jalapenos, and I'm like spicy mm-hmm. and sweet and fucking savory. Come on, I'm, that's that's yeah. where it's at. For sure. There's a place in Nashville that does. They do a slice that's uh, it's it's pepperoni. It's basically the same thing as pepperoni, pineapple, and but they do fresh jalapenos and they don't deseed them. Oh. And so it's one of the hottest slices of pizza I've ever had in my life. They also do something called a habanero cream sauce that they put on pizza mm. that makes it insanely hot. We've got a so this year. Speaking of fresh jalapenos. Mm-hmm. The wife's trying her hand at growing some, you know, just a little, little box. I fail every time, yeah. Oh, we've got these three jalapeno plants that are just popping them out, and they're just That's so awesome. spicy and delicious. Um, like I tried them two years ago, last year, and this year, and I failed all three times. So I just decided this year I'm done with it. Like I'm just, I'm finished. Like I just don't. I there was something about having plants that I just don't. It just doesn't. I don't. I don't have the right skill set for it. And it's stressful. I got to, yeah, it's stressful because you're like, this thing is dying. I feel bad that this thing yeah. is dying. Why can't I save it? <laughs> yeah. Um. So you decided not to do plants, but I see that you've decided to do a lot of hot challenges. Lately. Yeah, man. I. Well, it just it can't. It just sort of arose out of boredom during uh, quarantine. Mm-hmm. I just thought, like, why not subject myself to a lot of pain because I don't have to be anywhere. I have a bathroom nearby. And so, yeah, I did the, uh, the Fuego box Choco challenge, the hottest white chocolate bar on the planet. Mm-hmm. And I did the, uh, the death nut challenge. And soon I'm going to be doing another one. I've got um, sitting, sitting right here. I've got the Pocky one chip challenge and I haven't done it yet. Done it? Dude, that would be a good podcast or maybe it would be a terrible podcast episode because we'd just be like, Oh, this sucks. I want to do it because, but it's, they're sold out everywhere. It's hard to find them. And they're like 50 bucks. Yeah. Well, one of my friends managed to, uh, he, he was kind of sharking the uh, website and he, he was out he's out in Austin yeah. and he managed to get yeah. his hands on like four of them and he sent me one and I was like, okay, awesome. I'll check it out at some point. <laughs> I've heard that that's the worst one. Um, the death nut. I did the death nut challenge last month, and it was, it was in retrospect extremely painful. Um, there's, there's another, there's another chocolate bar that's supposedly nine million Scoville units, and you're like you're supposed to eat a square the size of like a chiclet, and it's nine squares or something. And I want to try that. Jesus. I found that I'm pretty good at handling heat. And so I just want to see how far I can take it before I'm like, all right, that's my limit. I have a jar. Have you ever seen the YouTube show hot ones? Do you watch oh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, I have a jar of the, uh, the debom. Have you tried the bomb sauce? The one that I have always, not. the insanity. Yeah. The bomb. Is it the bomb insanity? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think, I think that's what it's called, but I have a jar of that and, uh, or a bottle of that. And I've done wings with it twice and it just renders you, I don't know how anyone talks during it. It like it renders you completely incapable of speech, or at least it does. Like my mouth involuntarily waters, so that water is just like pouring. Spit is just pouring out of my mouth. It's insane. I gotta imagine, being that it's recorded, I bet it does render them for a while, and they just kind of do edit around it. They're just like, all right, let's let them calm down and get back to where they can talk and shit like that. But because I've actually heard the other two sauces that come after are usually not as bad. That's the one that they do for the sake of the show. Yeah. Uh, because it's really, inex- it, it is just 
insanely and embarrassingly hot and uh nothing that none of the challenges i've done the 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 death nut challenge and the choco challenge neither one of them is like anywhere near that and so yeah it's just the hottest i i love so i'm I'm a fan of spicy i am but i'm a fan of that spicy that you can enjoy and like i can eat on a on throughout a meal so it makes me nervous like i I look at it it's sitting on my 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 shelf right over here mocking me and i'm just like i don't know yeah i i equate that kind of thing with running marathons and you know i've run one marathon i will i will never do it again Mm. but there is something to the existential experience of seeing how far you can take your body your and your mind mm-hmm. and see how you how the two can coexist and try to like psych one another out and i see these kind of challenges that way right it's just some do you have the mental toughness to to just go yeah. through with it kind of thing because once you start yeah, it you're sure. there you're done you're in like, yeah you gotta there. You, you just have to go for it so that's in in a way i guess it's yeah, it's it's way more mental because like I guess the longer it sits on the shelf, the more I'm gonna psych myself out about it probably. Yeah, but. I mean like, and that's what I did. Like the day, it's always the day that I get it. Like I have to like the both the Choco Challenge and uh, the Peanut Challenge. I did them the same. Like I got them out of the mail and I sat down and just did it. What'd your wife say? Um, the first time around, you know, everything revolves around our kid. The first time I did it while Bo was napping, and she was like, okay why don't you wait until tonight? Cause it showed up, you know, around lunchtime. She was like, I want you to be around for our child. Like I need another parent. <laughs> I can't have you incapacitated. <laughs> right. And so she was worried. She was worried that I was going to be kind of down for the day, kind of like a marathon, but, uh, you know, I made it through fine and I'm not, I'm not tough. Like I'm not, I just like to do that. There's also something just like insanely funny to me about it. Just doing something so stupid to yourself. Mm. That's within the realms of safety. Like I I would never jump off a high building or do anything that's like actually going to harm me. I find that kind of stuff really stupid, but if it's just going to cause me mild discomfort, like I find that hilarious. So that's why manageable discomfort. Yeah. Like I've got a whole uh, wish list on Amazon of things that I want to try and I'll probably end up doing them. I just have a segment on my YouTube channel called Nashville heat and it's where I try different things and you know, I'll eat like hot chicken from Nashville and like I, there's uh, there's some Carolina Reaper popcorn that I'm going to pick up from Amazon and just give it a shot. It's also about just doing something. It forces you to do something new and different. And that's also like with the way that thing, I'm sure that I'll stop soon once life goes back to normal. But as long as life is not normal, there's some something about doing this to break up the monotony that makes life a little interesting and different. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important to have those new things to that you experience, be it eating something hot, going somewhere, yeah. which I mean, obviously that has traveling has been something that a lot of people can't do. Right. So it's right. So it, it, it you have you're, to bring the world to you. Yeah, you got a lot of people who are who are for the first time in a long time having a chance to sit down and really see themselves. Yeah, you know. Uh, before we get too far away from, it, I did want to ask you, Suicide Blondes. Um, right. That uh, that was your that was your book just before the last Rolson McCain, right? Um, right. Yeah, that was my break from Rolson McCain. Like even when I got back into writing, I f- I couldn't go directly back to Rolson, in part because I knew that the fourth book was going to be the final book mm-hmm. in the series, and so I kind of put it off 
not kind of not wanting to end it and accept that it was over. Right, right. Yeah, it's 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 saying goodbye to your goodbye to your baby boy Rolson, right? It's, yeah. It <laughs> um, but well, I wanted to ask you because while I was reading, it, I was like, man, I wonder what's going through because it, it's it's basically the the main character is female. So I was wondering mm-hmm. how what the challenge was because obviously writing Rolson McCain, you're writing from a male perspective. Was it tough southern to write? Yeah. yeah, southern southern perspective. Was it challenging to write from a female perspective? Um, I so it's it's a case of writing what you know about. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the book is ostensibly about uh, prep school girls and what they do. And my wife went to a, a private school in Nashville, and so. I kind of mined her experiences and just made them more um, extreme. And I felt pretty safe doing that. I'm not, and this kind of can segue into what I was thinking we'd talk about today. Mm -hmm. I'm not one to think that writing about a different experience can inherently alienate you. I think as long as you write any character with sort of humanity and depth that you're going to be able to get away with it. I recently... I recently listened to a podcast where um, the the person talking suggested that if you write from a different perspective than your own, that you should have a sensitivity monitor, read your book and say like, mm. this is insensitive or not. And I, I mean, I certainly see value in that, but I don't subscribe to that. Like, like, I just think if you write about, you know, there are black characters in my book and I, you know, I'm sure that there, you can take any perspective and say, this is insensitive. I mean, but I try to write all of my characters with humanity and depth. And if I fail that, I feel like that's okay. That's a failure of the book and not of my sensitivity. And so trying to equate the two, like if you get, <clears throat> excuse me, too far down that road, then you just like, you end up saying nothing at all. Like if you're trying to check a bunch of boxes about, um, how should people like be in a book? Um, and largely I write crime novels and so most of the characters are not moral people. I just try to treat them with truth. And I think, I hope that that comes through. And so that's only my only bar. And, you know, well, there's a, there's a huge difference between, between pushing, between pushing a perspective to trigger sensitive people right. to trigger people and then just just trying to genuinely add to your story you know yeah. there's a very big difference there's that's one of the reasons why my books aren't inherently sexual either is because my fear is to kind of use female characters as these you know uh female femme fatales and that sort of thing and i i want to avoid that like i and an there are relationships in my book, but I try to stay as far away from like making characters inherently sexual and sexualized. And because a lot of times that's what their value ends up being. And so there isn't a lot of sex there. I'm working on a new Nashville book. Uh, Suicide Blondes was my first Nashville book. I'm working on a new one uh, called last hurrah. And it's about a bachelorette party in Nashville that goes completely awry. And, um, that one might have a little bit more of that in it, but yeah, it's just, I just try to write with truth. And I, I, I feel like we don't give enough. There's like, there's a science fiction writer a few years ago who just openly said, I don't write females into my books because I don't feel like I can represent them well. And I see both sides of that. Like he got completely destroyed on Twitter, obviously, but, uh, 
trying trying to be I, safe like trying to be you right. know safe about it and then people are like trying to be kind and sincere um and you know but at the same time you i don't know like it's really hard because if if you 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 still have to write female characters right like you still have to put (laughs) yeah they exist and so i don't know like i would rather be fearless and fail than safe and stupid like that. Like I just thought that whole situation was really stupid and I just try to stay away from that. I mean, there are, you know, and I try to be inclusive. There are gay characters in my novels. There are trans characters. And of course, bad things happen to them because I write crime novels. Like I, if someone said like, well, this character dies and it's like, well, yeah. And this character says bad. Like, yeah, of course, because I don't write books about the light. I write books about the dark. And so that's what happens. Um, and if there's something I don't see, I can, I mean, there are things that I recognize like deuce and other characters in the first book. I mean, there was that kind of idea uh, of the magical Negro that the old stereotype, like, Oh, black characters in the book exist to help white characters. And, you know, and that's to write a book that's supernatural about the relationship between black and white in the South is really hard to do. And I kind of, I have to accept that like that, that's an interpretation that could be read. You know, there's a ghost in that, in that book that helps the main character along. And that's kind of like uh, the, the legend of Bagger Vance. Right. Right. But, but I tried to put humanity into it. And so people can fault me for that, but I did my very best with it without making it stereotypical. And, you know, I tried wholeheartedly to avoid as many stereotypes as, as possible, but yeah. you're never going to get them all. And so I just, because once you start saying like, I have to check these boxes, it, it, you just write real characters. Um, it's actually one of the things that impresses me with, uh, there's a show I've just been watching called what we do in the shadows based on the movie. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Oh, I've seen the first season. I need to watch the second season. Yeah. And so I think what they do is th- that, you know, having a show that's so just kind of ridiculously satirical, I, one of the things I love that they did was they made all the characters sexually fluid without making a point about it. It's just who they are. There's not an episode about how Laszlo sleeps with men and women. It's just when a situation occurs where he has the opportunity to, he does. And it's not there to make a point. I think that's moving forward with regard to representation. Like that's the model that people should use. Like if you're going to have trans characters. It shouldn't be, uh, like about their trans journey or what have you. Right. Uh, because that's, you just treat it as this other thing. And like, I have a trans character in Dirge and, and that character, like them being trans has nothing to do with like, that's not part of the story. It's just an aside to the story. It's, it's just, just a matter of fact. Yeah. And it's a part of who the character is, but that's not what that character's con- contribution to the book is about. Right. Well, and if you think about, if you think about life, like life is like that, right? People, yeah. you, you start a job at a new place, right? Someone there is trans. It's just a matter of fact, they're trans. Like they're right. just they, like, it's not like, I, I don't know. It's just, I think it's a more natural way to write right. like that, where it's like, this is just it's a matter of fact. Right. Right. This is just a matter of fact. I think if you start checking those, sorry, sorry, man. Uh, if you start checking those boxes, like you were talking about at some point, you start putting a detriment on your story. Yeah. Like it, it, if it, it, it's the difference between sitcom writing and like, you know, a show on FX. If you were a sitcom, there would be a whole episode about why a character is trans, which, you know, that I think that's an important story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really more, it's it, not every decision is based on a person's, uh, 
you know, sex or gender assigned or whatnot. And, you know, like I don't, for example, I'm white, but I don't like every decision I, I make to be attributed to the fact that I'm white. Like I don't make all decisions because I'm white. Like I know that there are, um, stations in place in life and, and, and organizations. What, what's it called? Uh, structures in, in place that, you know, I do things because I'm white, but like, I don't think of myself that way. And so right. I think trying to avoid that in fiction is, is especially TV and movies is the, the way to go. You just want that character to exist just like Laszlo and, um, God, I've forgotten their, the other characters' names, but mm. Laszlo's my favorite. And um, just putting them in situations where n- aspects of their personality come out, like that's the way to write a movie or TV show or book without it being preachy. Like, otherwise, it becomes didactic. And it's like, well, here's the lesson I want to teach. Like, sometimes there's not a lesson. Like, characters are characters. They do things because of motivations. Like, ultimately, the trans character in Dirt Merchant is corrupt because they want something and not because they're trans like that's you know yeah and anyway it, it, it doesn't have to be yeah like the focal point you know so i was honestly i was just wondering like because you know obviously i read all the rolson mccain stuff and i was like i wonder how much of a challenge this was but i mean i guess if you don't if you don't come at it with like like get in your head about it it's probably be easy to yeah. really easy to get in your head like am i overthinking how this female's thinking and stuff like that but if you just write a straightforward story and have it not really matter if they're male or female, that makes a little more sense, you know? Yeah. Like I definitely think there should be more female authors and female TV writers and trans writers, Mm -hmm. uh, because then you get more realistic depictions on TV and movies. Um, but I'm a white person who writes, so I, I can't, I can't overthink it. And because then you, you get into your head about it. Um, because the fact that the world needs more writers of other, uh, colors and, you know, religions and everything else, um, shouldn't detract from the fact that I want to write stuff and people like it, then I want them to be able to read it. Uh, so yeah, I mean like my books are racially problematic in part because characters say the N word, but in this world, the world that they inhabit, that's what's going to happen, you know, um, Especially the and South. So, right. Um, and not just white characters, black characters. And so there, you know, there is a faction of, um, the world that would say, you know, white, a white person shouldn't write a book where black characters say the N word. And to that, I say, you it's just i mean I, from my experience like the experience that i've had in life that's just reality in some parts of the world mm-hmm. um it's um, just the way that things are have so so obviously the past few months have been weird in the world right right um yes has, has that has has any of that affected the way you're writing now um are you thinking about different things now or are you still just kind of keeping it straightforward like you were just talking about is it well, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate the ideas that are bring, being brought forth because they make you think anytime you are more critical about the way that you think about the world, the better off you are, you know, um, right now I'm working on a horror, uh, op, kind of a space giant four book series under my, my horror pen name. And I think in part I'm doing that because I don't know what the world looks like right now. It's easy to write about space right now because um, like I have a book that's supposed to be about a bachelorette party in Nashville. And I wrote the first draft of that last year before all of this. And like, I think what a lot of, I think fiction writers and um, TV people and movie people are, are wondering is how are, how is this going to affect the way that our fictional universes look after this? 
And um, I mean, I think with the book that I'm working on, Last Hurrah, beyond the science fiction stuff, is I'm just going to, you know, everyone knew that something existed before this. So I don't automatically have to make it exist in a pandemic. And so I'm just going to write a forward to it like, hey, this was written before all of this. So yeah, remember two years ago? <laughs> like, right. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it certainly, and, you know, speaking, talking about George Floyd, black, black, black lives matter, you know, it's made me reflect. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I'm talking about race and, and identity on the podcast is because it, it does make you reflect. I mean, I, I certainly support the idea that everyone that we need. And what's weird is like, I've written books about corrupt cops. Like Rolson is the cop that is a, a, he's, he's screwed up. And so it's made me think about that. Like how many more bad cops do I want to write? Like, do I want to glorify people like James Elroy who write about cops that murder people and are racist? And, you know, it should make you think, and ultimately you can separate art from the artist to a certain extent. I mean, I think that's a bigger discussion, but huge. Yeah. um, I wonder, yeah, I just, I wonder how it's going to affect how we see, um, cops in the future and policing and like how they'll be depicted and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, up up to this point in movies, the cop that always got things done was the cop who didn't go by the book, the shield, Michael Chickas, (laughs) right? I mean, lethal weapon and NYPD blue and true detect, like literally everything about cops is like the only way, like our America's seeming view of the world is that, the only way to get things done is to like not follow is to be a rebel and not follow the rules. That's really funny. You brought up lethal weapon. Cause just, I think it was yesterday or the day before Krista was like, Chris was like, man, we live in a world where Riggs and Murtaugh have more fucking, more fucking ability to hold themselves back than some real <laughs> cops. And I'm like, wow, you're right. I mean, and you know, it's, you know, it's also weird to think about, um, Danny Glover was 41 when he said, I'm too old for this shit. Mm. And I'm, I'm knocking on that door now. And it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. The, our perception of age have really changed. And and once you get there, like I'm older than the mom was in home alone when she was in home alone, Catherine that's, O'Hara, she was 36. When isn't home that alone crazy to go back? But like when you go back and watch it, you still feel like they're older. She should be. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, no, I mean, and of course I think in terms of fictional universes, like I don't, I don't don't mean to demean reality, of course, uh, but that's just how I think about things. And I think that this perception that cops can only get things done if they ignore red tape is something that we like drastically need to rethink because I'm sure to a certain degree, what happened in Atlanta and what happened to George Floyd, Minneapolis and what happens all over the world or all over the United States has in some part to do with this mindset and also the idea that we've militarized the police since, you know, nine 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea that the police, they're fighting this sort of insurgency around them at all times is, is a big problem. Yeah. Um, they don't need, I mean, in my opinion, we don't, necessarily need people walking around in full body armor like what that does is that gives you the perception that you're a warrior it's like bill burr says when he talked about like if you get a white person in the suit they're gonna start taking over some shit like right. that's, you know i can feel it <laughs> coming up out. inside me <laughs> you know, it's right. like 
you, you know, you put a you put a cop in battle armor and have them riding around in tanks. Like they they don't think that they're cops. And also, most cops did not come through the the armed forces. They came through police academy. Um, so they're not prepared for the kind of militaristic things that is being foisted upon them. So. Well, and it affects both sides. Like just standing there with full body armor and a, and a gun, like as as that cop, you probably feel you feel much higher and, and more and empowered, more empowered. And then as a person that's standing across the line from that cop, like you probably feel more threatened. Like it doesn't do anything to deescalate anything. It if anything, right. it raises tensions, and it's just kind of like. Whereas if I'm standing in front of a cop who's just wearing his normal uniform. And, you know, you know, maybe he has, you know, whatever on his belt, right. but it's not the same as staring at someone who looks like a fucking soldier. Like it's right. just different. It doesn't feel like it, you know, what it reminds me of is, you know, back when we were growing up and you'd see all the fucking, you know, di unrest in Israel and people are throwing rocks at soldiers oh, and yeah. stuff like that. It looks just like that now. It's fucking weird. Yeah. I, um, that was something I, I tweeted about recently. I was talking about this idea that growing up, I used to watch these cops versus people battles around the world, like throwing rocks and gas. And I never thought that it would happen here. And like, I have to kind of relinquish that thought now that it's, I mean, this is just the reality of where we live and what we're living through. And I'm, you know, kind of what I was saying we talk about today. I don't know that it's going to change even if Donald Trump loses the election in yeah. November. Um, which we can point. talk all day about his faults as a president, but um, I, I've been thinking a lot about free speech recently. And that that's kind of what has taken over my mind is I used to be a free speech absolutist, like the best idea always wins. And with the rise of like one American news and Breitbart and all of these sort of uh, propaganda ne networks, I I've sort of changed my views about the, the, I don't know that the first amendment alone is enough to protect itself. And I'm, I'm getting more resolute in that opinion every day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I see, I see what you're saying. I, I honestly, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird line to tread because, especially because, you know, you brought up the fact that even if, even if Trump isn't reelected, right, it's right. still going to be bad. It's because everything's been politicized. Like every single thing we do now has like this political thing because behind it. It's like, right. Well, well, someone falls on one side or the other, like even down to the point of wearing a mask, right. That's become a, a political thing. It's like, yeah. I've, and I've, it shouldn't It's I've, very clear. I've had friends their 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 significant others have gone to the store with their child being pregnant and, and being pregnant. So she's got a she's got she's got a kid, a toddler, and she's pregnant. She's at the grocery store shopping. She's got a mask on, and she definitely had people walk by and mutter mutter at her a fucking liberal. You know, that's crazy. And you're just kind of like, I mean, what the crazy. fuck? You know, it's just like well, you don't know what's going on with her. She's also carrying a child. Like, what do you right. you you're gonna fault somebody for for being careful? Like. I don't know. It's just, I think that like, I think you're right. It doesn't matter who goes into office at this point, as far as society goes, it's, it's very divided down the middle. You know, it's very well, divided. We way. Yeah. Well, we don't argue over a shared set of facts anymore. I think that's the, the most important distinction It's not just that everything is political. It's that 
we no longer we no longer discuss things at one another. We talk past one another. And I, it, I used to, th- I used to think that it's okay to have people who have different beliefs than you um, be popular and have ideas and express those ideas. And that just that we, we live in a marketplace of ideas. I no longer believe that I'm no longer a believer that we're going to go and argue and the best idea wins because what happened um, with social media, Facebook, Twitter um, is that, we have siloed our beliefs and we've each created a different, oops, sorry, uh, move my microphone. We've each created a different place where we come from and we, we no longer live in the same reality. And so it's not just about the best idea winning. It's that we don't have the same realities anymore. And so what wasn't apparent, I mean, it's, we, we've kind of seen this coming for the last two decades, but what is true now that we know now that we didn't know four years ago with Trump is that, if we have someone who is belligerent with the truth and with reality that he can create his own reality that other people believe in. And so you're no longer just arguing about facts. You're arguing about the nature of reality. And so I, I don't think that free speech is as stable as it was. I mean, when you have the Donald Trump and the administration is completely ignoring the, uh, like ideas and facts and truth, it's impossible to argue against that. And, um, that that's really tough. Like I can't convince, you know, my brother who's a Trump supporter about Russia. If he's only consuming Breitbart and, you know, MAGA Patriot nine, seven, two, three on Facebook, because we're not living in the same reality. Well, and we're also able to tailor our reality, right? You know, if your reality is, most of my interaction with people is online. You can choose who those people are. So you can find that echo chamber easily. I think, I think you're right as far as, um, you know, freedom of speech is, is very muddled right now. Um, I, I think it's really muddled, but I think it's a weird line to walk because I feel like, I've been reading this book and I, I would be honestly, I've been thinking of you most of the time reading it. Um, it's called uh, the coddling of the American mind. Yeah, Jonathan Haidt. Height. Height. Have right. you have you read it or? No, I have it on Audible. It's one of those books that I was like, man, I need to read this. It's uh, and I bought it, and it's just there. It's it's good so far. I'm not too far into it. I think I'm in like third chapter or something like that. Um, I'm kind of casually reading it, and um, I, for those out there that are interested, it's only four bucks for Kindle. If you got an app on your phone, you can read it for four bucks. Um, but it's there's an important line where I believe that there are dangerous ideas and danger people are living in dangerous realities, quote unquote, that were like what we're talking about. Um, but I think it's also very important to make sure people know that that's there too. Like yeah. it's, it's important to not forget that that's there. I think that, yeah. that if you, if you completely shut everything out, that's, that's kind of how we got into the situation we are now. Cause people can get on social media and shut everything that doesn't agree with them out and only allow in the crazy reality of things. Whereas like if you are cognizant of the fact that there's crazy out there, uh, what, regardless of what side you're on, like you need to know that there's things that disagree with you. You need to know that there are things that you, cause then you'll get out into the world, maybe run into somebody in real life that wants to have an argument or wants to have a discussion with you. And you're kind of like, I didn't know. I didn't know someone was this crazy, you know? <laughs> So there, yeah. there, there's a weird line. Like you don't want to consume too much of it. You don't want to give it too much credit, but at the same time you need to know it's there. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I just think the the problem is when like you don't argue with facts. Like it it's one thing for for people to argue like I think the, the overall thesis of Jonathan Haidt's book is that you cannot shelter people from ideas that you disagree with that quote unquote offend you. And that happened recently with Tom Cotton's op-ed in the New York times. The, yeah. the op-ed editor got fired. Oh, yeah. And so I completely disagree with that idea that, that, that ideas can hurt you, that words can hurt you. Um, I don't agree with that because Tom Cotton for as awful as his ideas were, were at least legitimate ideas. And he was using, um, fact to the best of his knowledge and I disagree with them. I hate them, but what happened was a revolt in the op-ed department of the New York times. And so the, those, his last name is Bennett, but I've forgotten his first name. He was kind of fired or let go or resigned because of that, because the people in the op-ed room felt unsafe, quote unquote. And so I disagree with that because what happens when you encounter ideas that you, if you can't, encounter ideas that you disagree with gracefully, then um, you're not ready for the world. But, you know, I'm talking more about the idea of people living in realities where they are fed lies so that they're not encountering reality at all. I mean, there are, for example, two people have won primaries who, uh, for this year's election, who are QAnon supporters. Like, how familiar are you with QAnon? I'm not very. Okay, so... QAnon, uh, let me mansplain, uh, QAnon is a, is a conspiracy theory that believes that Donald Trump was elected by the deep state to overturn the, um, to, uh, or was, uh, was elected by the military to overturn the deep state and all of the pizza conspiracy, pedophile, liberal conspiracy stuff. Like that's a real conspiracy. That's a real theory that people have now mm-hmm. is that the world is populated by liberal pedophiles and Donald Trump was elected to overthrow them. Now that is someone's right to believe that, that to the extent that the first amendment is fine, you know, that's fine, but it's asinine and crazy. It's, we don't win that battle by talking to people who believe something who have siloed themselves into a QAnon conspiracy theory. Like I don't, I don't know how we get through to that. And so it would be different if we all share the same facts, but we, we gather information from different places. I mean, you could go to YouTube right now and you could spend days only watching videos about QAnon. And so you're not, if you're not encountering, um, truth and reality, then this is what happens. And it's, it's, it's insane. And a woman in Washington, I think it's either Washington state or Oregon. She has one, She's the, the big thing is where we go, one, we go off. You ever see that phrase? That's the QAnon phrase. And recently a uh, restaurateur in Nashville was outed as being a QAnon conspiracy theorist. And it's just, it, it is the, it has no actual liturgy. There is no philosophy behind it. It's just this idea that there is a deep state and Donald Trump is going to obliterate it all. And that like Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama are going to go to jail forever because mm. they're in this pedophile ring. And I'm all about people having beliefs, but this is, I think that it's beliefs with no facts behind it. Right. Like it's beliefs that doesn't have, don't have anything like that. They don't have anything that's like a solid evidence. Like here's my, well, yeah, in their minds they do. Like that's what happens is with conspiracy theorists is that 
there are like, oh, did you see the way that it's like it kind of started with Barack Obama when you think about the the terrorist fist jab. Remember when they gave each other a fist bump and there was a speculation that like this is a thing that happened in 2008 that, oh, Barack Obama might be a terrorist because he and Michelle gave each other a fist bump. And there was no <laughs> fact to support that. Right. But if you look, if you look at it, it's a thing, you know, and it it takes away the idea that there are we have shared facts. And I don't know how well that the First Amendment can survive if we don't share a set of facts. And like, that's my bigger idea. That's my bigger problem is that my brother, just to go back to him, like he's someone I think about a lot more than I'm sure he thinks about me because he lives in this sort of MAGA patriot flag waving Donald Trump conspiracy world. Um, like he's convinced the only way that Donald Trump can lose this election is if the Democrats cheat and force um, undocumented immigrants, undocumented people to, to vote and that they vote in the millions and that he believes that, um, if we go to mail in ballots, that the Democrats are going to cheat and win. And there's no amount of facts that will like make him not believe that because he lives in a world of his own making a world of his own choosing. And so it's no longer about having ideas that disagree and you getting shouted down because he has a whole um, system of people, a whole organization of people who believe the exact same thing he does. Yep. And so if he encounters me who disagrees with him on Facebook very publicly, it doesn't matter because I don't really count. Right. I love, yeah, very that's the danger. That's the danger of internet, right? Confirmation bias is like yep. a fucking huge, right. a huge issue. And, and like, so you can believe anything, you know, you can believe anything and you're probably going to find something on the internet that'll at least help you back it up somewhat, you know? Yeah. Um, and it is a very dangerous thing. And I think, what's that? I said like flat earth. Yeah. Like flat earth. And, and like the the other thing is a lot of people now are confusing news with editorialization, like very much. So like they, they think they're watching the news, but they're really just watching one long, very conditioned editorial. And I'm talking about both sides. I'm not even talking about just one side. It's, you watch too much of that stuff. You look at too much social media and you just, you you can have your, you can have your view of the world skewed so hard. It's, it's kind of yeah. ridiculous to the point that you think you're the crazy one. Um, I agree with that. I mean, the rights problem is that they, they don't believe in reality and facts anymore. Um, that's, that's the huge problem on the right is they just believe that, um, that the the world is just going to go back to the way it was in the 1950s, and that's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And the left's problem is that they only believe in ideological purity, and which I completely disagree with. Um, and I don't believe that me being white should discount me from being able to say something that I disagree with on the side that I agree with. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, like I remember, and I sent, I actually tweeted to a friend of ours um, uh, a little while ago about this that. Um, just because I disagree doesn't mean that I hold a, um, an extreme position and the left has gotten to the point where if you're not completely in line and believe everything that is said that, uh, you're kind of castigated for it. For example, um, I, I believe in protests and I believe in peaceful protests, but I, I live in a city that was, um, set on fire due to protests and riots, actually riots, not protests. And, I know that it's a small group of people who did not share the ideology of the people who are marching. They were likely uh, uh, criminals taking advantage of the protests in order to create chaos and wreak havoc. But 
I still don't believe that it benefits anyone to burn buildings down, to set things on fire, to destroy things. Um, I, I, and I listened to a podcast last week that said like having that opinion is racist and it, it's just so counter to everything that I believe that I can't hold a position uh, even within, like, I always feel like I have to like overly vet what I say uh, with the left so that I make sure I don't step on any toes. And like, that's the huge problem with the left right now is that they, they are, they are intolerant of views that fall outside of the mainstream of like emotionally what's happening right now. Well, and so, yeah. And, and some, it, like you said, you have to overly vet what you're going to say because if you don't argue the right way back, then then all of a sudden you're also wrong and you're just as bad as so and so. And there's a little bit of cancel culture going on, um, right. you know. Obviously, huge, huge cancel culture going on. Uh, Rogan's getting a lot of that. Yeah, I want to talk about. I want to talk about Rogan a little bit. Rogan, I think getting, he's a good person. Yeah. Rogan's uh Rogan's got a lot of that going on. Uh, there's a com- There's a couple of comedians. Well, one deserves everything they're getting right now. Chris D'Elia is just fucking yeah. god awful. I always said Delia. Is it Delia? Delia, yeah. Okay. Um yeah, it's it's a D <laughs> apostrophe. Yeah, it's a yeah, D, D apostrophe. Delia. I'm mm. such an idiot. Yeah, it's Chris D'Elia. Um which like after all that stuff came out, I'm just like, wow, what a garbage. I never really liked him in general. Well, like I've seen the audience who might not know. Do like, I know what he's a I oh, said, yeah. uh yeah. Yeah. Uh so basically um he's You've probably seen him in a movie or two. You've seen him probably in TV shows, but he's he's a pretty popular stand-up comedian um, who was outed this past week for um, really inappropriately uh, preying on underage, underage, grooming them. yeah, grooming them basically. And when I say underage, I'm not talking about little children. I'm talking about high schoolers, which doesn't make it any better. But he just he's going after kids that are in high school or kids that are just about to turn 18 and stuff like that. And it's just creepy because he is, he's a little bit older than us. He's like early forties, yeah. I think. And well, the, do you know what the irony of that is? Did you watch the TV show you on Netflix? Yeah. He was a pedophile on that one. Yeah. He played someone who preyed on underage girls. And so, so much that he had a, a basement full of videos and pictures of underage girls that he had slept with. It's, it's the, the amount of fucking creepiness. That's, crazy of the fact that so all that came out this week and this is someone that i've seen him live before uh mm-hmm. i've seen chris D'Elia live before and i i mean i just i thought he was funny but i, I never seeked his stuff out you know I was, i'm not a person i'm just going to seek him out he's just not my style of comedy um so that kind of came out and and i believe he kind of deserved all that um yeah you know, Rogan's getting a lot of flack right now, and and his, yeah. one of his one of his comedian friends, uh, Joey Diaz, is getting a lot of flack right now too, um, for stories that he he's just a guy that's always kind of his shtick has always been I'm a garbage human being. You know, I've like I, I'm he's a former he felon. Yeah, yeah. He and Hope both hold that mantle like way even way back from the Man Show. Right. I'm 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 a I'm a garbage human. I'm talking about Joey Diaz, who is like he's like I'm a garbage human being. These are like I, when I was a crazed drug addict. These are my stories that he tells yeah. and stuff like that. Now he's now he's older. He's like in his mid fifties and he's he's got a kid and he's married and he's got a pretty normal life now. But he's you know he's an ex con and he's got like a past yeah, he's a cocaine dealer and all kinds yeah of shit. all kinds of crazy shit. But you know a lot of st- stories that he's 
told on podcasts over the years are now resurfacing and people are trying to do that. And he's like, don't, you know, specifically, I was thinking of a different thing. Like what, what, what stories are getting him in trouble? So there's, uh, the, the one in particular that one of our friends sent me, um, I was like, and he was like, don't you think this is horrible? Um, was one I'd heard before. Basically he talked about how he ran a comedy show and this was probably in the eighties, nineties, something like that. And he told a story where he basically would let some females get on stage if they did coke with him and blew him, you know, mm. um, which doesn't not a good look, not a good look. But he's, you know, at the time you look at the perspective, he's a fucking coked out maniac. He's a fucking and he's you know he's yeah. he's robbing folks. He's he is not in a good place in life either. Right. So that story came up. I believe that's, someone I mean, let's just let's just be clear about that though. That's a bat that I mean that's some Harvey Weinstein level Oh shit. yeah, absolutely. It does not yeah. look good at all. Um there was another story that uh that someone talked about. He told a story about a girl he was dating um cuz I've heard this story before. He told it several times right. on on podcasts that he was on. Um a girl he was dating, he snuck into her house and uh and did oral things with her, right? So he had oral sex with her. Um but there are people that are kind of, but they were dating. He was just sneaking in because he didn't want the parents to know he was there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was weird. So it's kind of thrown out as, as he went in there and, and forcibly did this where I've heard the story told and it wasn't that way. So how does Rogan react to the, the first story? What is his rea- What was his reaction on the podcast to that? Um, well, so the podcast itself, I mean, I went back and looked at the video that our friend sent us and I was like, I was looking at it, I was like, well, it looks weird. It was probably, it was early, early Rogan days. I mean, they were probably not even at 100 episodes yet. I mean, this is like, I think they were still doing it at his house. And the reaction was, it was a room full of people. And he was telling this story, you know, uh, Joey Diaz is telling this story to be funny. And so, yeah, everybody's laughing and they're having a good time with it. So it doesn't look good. It doesn't, it doesn't age well at all. It doesn't age well at all. But, but wasn't out of, I don't know. It wasn't out of character for Joey Diaz either. So like, it's just, it's a weird confliction inside your brain when you're thinking about it. Right. Well, not being a Joey Diaz fan, like that's, so, that's something that I certainly feel like I wouldn't want to give him my money over. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And that like, that's where I get, I mean, that's a tough, because that's a tough sell. Mm-hmm. Like that's a tough sell to say like, he's just telling us that's just the way it was. Um, sure. Because it might, that might have been true, and I'm sure that lots. I mean, th- there is a thing called the backroom casting couch for a reason. Like Absolutely. that's throughout that's history. The way a lot of starlets ha- throughout history have mm. gotten gigs, I'm sure, and it's it's a really unsightly part of the history of Hollywood, and that these things happen. I just wonder. Yeah, I mean, he certainly wouldn't do it now, but the fact that Correct. he ever did it. Yeah. yeah it's i mean that's hard to defend like it's hard to say like that's just that was just a thing that he said because it was a thing that he did which is totally different and i understand that it happened in the past but i wonder i mean that's kind of like weinstein right like we wouldn't say like well he did it a long yeah. time ago that's the way it was back then like we can't i'd be interested it, to know the the level of embellishment First of all, because you are trying to make people laugh, I'd be interested. I, I'd be really interested to to really hear from 
the person that that was done to. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, um but it doesn't crazy. look good. It doesn't look good. I and and, and make right. no make no mistake about it. I'm not I'm not excusing it at all. Like I don't right. totally. I don't feel like I am, but it's it's just weird. Like uh, you know, you got to be prepared for things to come to light if you're going to be a certain way and 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 be prepared yeah. for things to crash down on you at some point if you're going to act yeah. a certain way. It's it's kind of it's, it's kind of just like, you know, I I think back and I've got a lot of friends that I'm really good friends with and I've got, you know, and I've got even myself, you know, we've all made unsavory jokes back in the past and we've all done I've done I yeah, and I'm not exempt. I did some awful things when I was in college. I mean, just yeah. reprehensible things. Yeah, and it's I wouldn't play them for laughs now. You know what I'm saying? Well, it, it's 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 also and horrified by them. Right. And and also are you doing it on a public forum? You know, it's it's right. weird. Like I it sucks because you know, I don't I say it sucks, but it's like thankfully it's not something that someone can go back to and pull up on YouTube. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, know I, that I didn't have right, malice right. at the time either. Right. I mean, the, pro- the problem with a lot with some of the stuff is that, you know, I think everyone's done horrible things, uh, especially in college when the, m- your morality is very flexible and it all depends on, you know, who is around you and what you guys do. Mm-hmm. I mean, the college crew that you and I kind of ran circles with, uh, ran in circles with, I mean, we did a lot of crazy things and uh, it's, it's easy to think back and say, well, it was just youthful indiscretion. I'm sure most people, the problem is when people, the, the problem is that people do it obviously, but there's also a problem when people pretend like they didn't do it. Absolutely. Right? Um, so being too moral, like I try not to be too moralistic about things because there are things that I'm ashamed of that I did when I was in college, when I was in high school um, and even after college. And so like, I hope that, the, you know, the standard is not who you were, but who you are. I think depending on the situation, I think, I mean, the Joy Diaz thing, that's kind of borderline. That's almost like, man, I don't know that you should. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, almost most things, if people can't forgive you for, uh, for apologizing for the things that you did and you realize that you're a different person now, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of times that's a problem with the idea of contrition. I mean, like I grew up in a small town where racism was a day to day occurrence and I grew up in it. So naturally I had a little bit of that, right? Like I, it was just everything you see every day, like the black and white relationships in in my hometown were not great. I almost saw a a hate crime. I almost saw, saw a kid I went to high school with get murdered by a white guy because the black kid called the white guy's sister a bitch in the hallway. Like he almost murdered a guy over that. He was willing to shoot a black man over that or high school student. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I grew up in that. And like, if people came in and said like in high school, he said some things that he should be ashamed of. I'd be like, yes, of course I did. Mm -hmm. Um, so like it's, I think it's different it's different for us because we were pre-social media. I think it's going to be a lot harder for generations moving forward who were 12. Like there was a situation with, um, was it Ariana Grande? There was a singer recently. I don't think it was Ariana Grande. No, it was, uh, the one who sang, um, God, I don't remember, but she, she went on to her Taylor Swift and she had all these memes from her, uh, Tumblr page where she used the N word. And, um, God, what was the song? 
anyway, uh, she had like a, she had one hit and you know, that's going to be more problematic. Like ours would be entirely relational and it'd be like someone from high school saying you did this and be like, either you did or you didn't, but there's, there's seats now. I don't know. It's a really complicated situation because like I had to give up on Ryan Adams. He was my favorite singer. Mm -hmm. And then it came out that he was grooming 14 year old girls and even admitted in DMS like, Hey, I don't want people to think I'm Michael Jackson. Yeah. And I mean, like you got to only stop. You got caught and it's like, well, you're dead to me. I can't, I can't listen to songs about heartbreak and think about anything other than 14 year olds now. Like it's just, ah. yeah, it's kind of weird. Right. And I mean, I don't know. I think about like, just it's, it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be tough. But like, like what we were talking about earlier, if you're not arguing the right way with someone, right. That right. can, that can turn into a bigger fight over semantics. Right. Um, yeah. sometimes and, yeah. and you, it can turn into a bigger fight over semantics and really you got to be careful because that stuff can, can definitely come back and haunt you. But like, you also can't pretend like you didn't make mistakes growing up. Like right. I, I'm fully aware that I was a very different person 10 years ago. I was mm-hmm. a very different person 15 years ago. Like, and, and to know that you've done things in the past and you know maybe told jokes in the past doesn't mean that you're a bad person and it also it's it's okay for you to even have held an opinion in the past a strong opinion of something in the past and then be like man that was kind of stupid later like it was wrong i mean we all it was it was not sorry my screen just went black can you hear me yeah i can hear you now my screen just went black for no reason um yeah i mean it was not uncommon for us to say gay in high school and, and, and college and call something gay. And you know, that that's just a mild example of the horrific things that we said to each other in college. And, you know, I think it's one thing it's, it's where I think that people get what people get wrong about comedy. And I think there is a difference between joking about something and actually having done it and glorify it. Um, kind of going back to the Joey Diaz example, like Dave, Dave Chappelle, um, knows that he's hitting a button when he talks about the trans community and should he probably not like he should probably stay away because his comments are insensitive. But now that he knows that it's offensive, he's using it to his advantage in a comedic way and it's probably not going to age well. Um, but I don't think he cares. Um, and also like there's always going to be a faction of people. This is the other thing about siloing of opinion that really bothers me is that if you become famous, there's always going to be a faction of people who are ready to cancel you. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be prepared for that. Um, that, and that's, that's problematic. Like there's always going to be a side that says you shouldn't exist. Your career shouldn't exist now. And your party is over. And I, I am reticent to jump on the bandwagon to end people's careers. Um, yeah, that because that's uh, last week I retweeted. So here's a complicated example to me. And there was a woman, I don't know if you've heard about the story. Uh, so stop me if you have, but there was a woman in New York who, or maybe it was in San Francisco, uh, a white woman and her husband uh, stopped a man. I think it was Hispanic. He was writing black lives matter in chalk. Have you heard the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. You can okay. tell it. Uh, that's that way people can hear it. 
Um, and she stopped and said, I know who lives here. You shouldn't be doing that. And he's like, Oh, well, if you know who lives here, then call the cops. We can, you know, <laughs> cause he lived there. Like that was right. his residence. And, um, uh, I don't know if the cops actually got called. Um, I don't know that much about the story, but they found the one, she basically got doxxed, right? So they found out who she was and then they took to her, she owned a cosmetics company, right? And a LA. big one too. Like they were a big cosmetics company. Like that was, in, they, okay. had a huge affiliation with, you know, a nationwide affiliation with some other bigger brand. Like one of the boxes, like one of the monthly subscriptions, something services, like that. Right? Yeah, like yeah. And so she got like people basically got her, can't I don't know if cancel is the right word, but they got her dropped from this contract, and um, she was a Trump supporter, so I'm sure she's an like it's hard for me to justify Trump supporters at this point, like right. m- moralistically. But I wonder what would happen if she had just apologized and said, you know, I made a mistake. Things are tense right now. I apologize. Like, does she deserve to have her career destroyed because of this mistake? Because it's certainly, it's coming at a very bad time. It's a horrible and time. Was, <laughs> yeah. And certainly she's being stereotypical and she's using, she's using her position of power as a white person to her advantage. Right. Mm. Um, like no one says she deserves a career, but I wonder like, was this a worthy inciting incident of, and I don't know how her company's doing. I don't know if she's an awful person or not. I'm just talking philosophically about the situation. I think like her husband said, got it too, didn't he? I don't know. I think, I her, I think her husband got got canned from his job because he was involved in that whole interaction as well. well. To be sure, to be just to be frank and honest, I like I want to put parentheses around this. I don't agree with what she's saying at all. I think what she said and did was horrible. Like and it's it has made me more aware of my surroundings and like how i think about people when i see them right like and their motivations and i i just i think what she did was horrible i just wonder like if i said something if i did something like people get into shitty situations all the time right yeah um like i was thinking about the other day like i was running and there were these women who were like taking up the sidewalk and it was like a whole group of women, none of them wearing masks. And like, if I said something to that, like, I just, I, I was really close to saying like, Hey guys, you should be doing like, if someone decided to film you, then that could turn like people would be automatically ready to cancel you. And I just, I don't know. Like this woman, this one's more unequivocal. Like she's obviously in, was an asshole. Like you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't threaten to call the cops on someone who's, of color just because they're doing especially if it's just like chalk and they're not causing any harm like whose business is it well especially under false pretenses of i know the owner when you clearly do not know the owner (laughs) so i mean yeah i don't know like i'm not trying to defend her i think she's awful but i wonder like a lot of times we get driven by emotion to go like yeah this feels good let's go yeah and it did feel good like i retweeted it and i said this story is bananas watch this video yeah but uh, I don't know. My favorite what part of that think? my favorite part of that story by the way just as a as a comedic side was later on in the video they're outside looking looking after the fact and he's standing in the window of his house and he like taps on the window and they looked at him and he waved at him from inside the house. I have not seen that. I need to see that. That's awesome. Well, you know, I mean, 
it's a it's a way more clear cut situation with the woman in uh, Central Park who called the cops and then feigned this like horrified voice. Like that is the very epitome of what's wrong. Like yeah. the idea that the left has a um, a monopoly on being good and doing the right thing is totally not true. Like a lot of white liberals who think that they're and a lot of problems come from white liberals who think they're being woke on behalf of people of color. And it's yeah. like, it's not your job to do that. Like you need to stand in, in unison, but this isn't your fight. Like you need to take a step back. Yeah. Show support, but you don't have to be vi- like, it's not your time to be vigilant. It's not like, it's just, it's enough to support, that was horrible. you know? Yeah. And that was horrible. Like that woman, oops, sorry. Uh, what she did was horrible and I think she deserved, totally deserved to lose her job for filing a false police report. I mean, it's just, I mean, and in some, in some cases, like if that wasn't, if that wasn't documented the way it was, and if it was in a, in the right place, the mm-hmm. right time, she could have had that guy's life in danger. Yeah. Like 100%. And so this is where like to bring it back to the idea I was talking about earlier, this is very, very clearly an example of white privilege, right? Like, which is a phrase I don't like to use. I kind of hate the phrase, but it is true that being white offers you the advantages that you rightly, you shouldn't have. And this is clear, like facts are facts. And this was factually a terrible thing to do. This was morally a terrible thing to do, but the way that this story is reported in right wing circles is that, this former woman lost her job because she had her dog off her leash. Right. And you can't argue like when all you hear is a different point of view and you only subscribe to that point of view, there's no way to change that person's opinion. Well, and, and like, that's what, that's what I'm ra- sort of railing against right now is this idea that, Oh, we just argue facts and the better side will win because that's not true. I mean, the the election of Donald Trump and the rise of fascism in this country, and yes, I'm using the word fascism. I want to talk about something in just a second that uh, relates to this uh, directly. Uh, that this is, we're going to have to do a lot of work to stop whatever is going on in this country. It's awful. Yeah, and, and to, before we get too far away from it, I mean... I don't know how I feel about the lady losing her job um, that that was harassing her neighbor or whatever. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who have a problem that would have a gigantic problem with just getting an apology because they wouldn't believe the apology and they would they would they're out for blood. Like you said, they're waiting to cancel people yeah. at all times. They're still in the waterless getter. Yeah, exactly. And it's we're at a point where. I think it's all, it's like, there's a lot of people who are all or nothing and people aren't allowed to fully redeem themselves or get, be given the chance to redeem themselves. Really the only thing that can help you is time. And even then that can still screw you as far as, you know, it's immortalized on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so you've been publicly shamed, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I love that book, by the way. It's a wonderful book. If you haven't read it. Um, um, I haven't, but I have it. It's another one of those audible books where I'm like, this is a book I should have read. John Ronson provides some really interesting uh, in you know insight on public shaming and being canceled before there was before cancel culture was an actual term. He did a full on book about it, and it's called "So You've Been Publicly Shamed," mm-hmm. and it's it's really good. It really kind of centers around and like the main story it hovers around. It has several within there, but is is the chick who got on her plane to right. go to Africa and was like, 
I'm heading to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. And then, you know, by the time she landed, she had no job. It had gone viral on Twitter, but she had been in the sky for, you know, 10, 15 hours, something like that. And it's like, so that's kind of the, where they kind of start and they branch out into what it means to be publicly shamed and other people who've been publicly shamed. I don't know. Like redemption's a hard thing for a lot of people. Like a lot of people would love to see people ruined. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if I really want to see someone ruined because it's not just, it doesn't always just affect the one person. You know, sometimes they have kids. Sometimes they have like, it's, I don't know if you watched the outsider at all on HBO I've read the book. I haven't seen the the. I've watched some of the show, but I haven't finished it. So so you know the guy the guy at the very beginning, like the 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 show opens with a murder, right? Yeah. And the guy that is accused of it, um, you know, throughout the throughout the season, you Team kind of, two. right throughout the throughout <laughs> the season, you uh you see um how it affected his family and right. how they essentially just have to not interact with their actual town they have to just kind of stay away from everything because everyone is just like oh you're the you're the daughter of that guy that murdered uh, yeah, a child you know it's yeah it's, it's, it's the worst of, season of arrested development it's it <laughs> yeah it's a jason bateman uh show it's it but it's so good it really is um, um yeah i i just think we we just need to constantly remind ourselves that twitter is not real life and um it's just not. And no. there's always going to be an opinion that is so count. Like you can put the most anodyne opinion on the internet and there's, there can be a, a response to it. And the, which I think opinions are fine, but what happens is that when you try to bring the weight of your wokeness to it, to say that, like what you did, not only what you said was wrong, which is okay to say, it's okay to say that someone's wrong, but you are evil or bad for saying it is, is where it goes too far. I think, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think Joe Rogan, like the the problem with Joe Rogan for me is just that he has reached a point of um, being untouchable to to the extent that he is not, he cannot be held accountable by anyone. And so I think that when you have an audience that he has, like, I think you do have a responsibility to do at least think about what you say. Yeah. His visibility is undeniable. Right. And so, I mean, he's like the number one podcaster in the world, which I never would have imagined. But I mean, with his audience, I think he, because especially with the masks comment, like that was what I was thinking of. I hadn't heard of the, the, the Joey Diaz thing. Um, you talking you know, about between Burr, him and Bill Burr. The, 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 thank they, God. Bill Burr said like, you know, you sitting here without, with <laughs> like, I, I don't have a doctor and you don't have a daughter's degree. And we're, I, we're sitting here. Yeah. I just, you know, Joe Rogan basically said that people who wear masks are pussies. That's his language, not mine. And, you know, that, that's playing with people's lives at this point. Like that's, he's, he's reinforcing something that is actually, I mean, the, the, the greatest advantage we have over this disease right now, right now at this moment before we have a vaccine is wearing masks. And that is undeniably scientifically true. And yes, he's a comedian and yes, he's not um, a role model. He's like Charles Barkley. I'm not your role model. Yeah. But I think he does have a responsibility to his millions and millions of listeners to at least say like, okay, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad Bill Burr was there. Someone who has a backbone to say like, you're no, that's not right. You're wrong. Basically. Right. right. Um, 
because I, I like, I like Joe Rogan and uh-huh. I like listening to his show sometimes. Um, I'm in, I'm in the same boat. Like we listened to that yeah. last weekend. So we, we had gone up to see, uh, some family up in North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. and we listened to that on the way up and yeah, it was kind of like, well, what the fuck? Like until right before Bill Burr said what he said, you know, to kind of right. quash, you know, Joe's wokeness or whatever the fuck he thought he had going on with masks. His um, third eye, red we were, just, we were both kind of like, what the fuck is wrong with Joe right now? Like yeah. it's, it's one of those things where, um, I've listened to Joe Rogan for many, many, many years. And, yeah. um, and I think that he's had some great guests on. I think that he's, I think he, I think honestly he's done a, he's, he's done a, a lot. Interviewer. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and he's brought, he's brought a very, um, a very no nonsense perspective to a lot of ideas, you know, be it, you know, pot legalization, if that's your thing, be it just acceptance of, you know, just a lot of things that, that kind of straddles the line. Like some conservatives don't like it. And then ideas that maybe liberals don't like and being like, look, you got to look at it from a perspective. And he's very motivational as far as like self-improvement and stuff like that, mental health shit like that. But um, you know, there's just, I, I think when you have that level of reach, when you have that many podcasts out, when you have as, as large of a, you know, of a, of a impact as you do and you, and you you're spread out across, I mean, it's been over 10 years of podcasts think, you know, society changes, things change. You can go back and find something that's going to be a confirmation bias, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. against him. It's, it's, you know, understanding that people change over time is really big. Um, and I, you know, you and I have even had discussions about, you know, some of the guests he's had on before and be like, is this right for him to give this person a platform? Yeah. Like, yeah. Alex Jones, there's a, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos, Owens. he's Candace Owens. Like he's had those people on and, you know, uh, and knowing that me and you would probably talk about this. I was, you know, me and the wife mm-hmm. were out on a walk. We took the dog for a walk earlier. We were talking about it a little bit and, um, you know, I was like, you know, I don't know. Like it's, I understand why people have a problem with it. I, I feel that it's important to know that those people are out there. We talked about that earlier, right? Yeah. To know that that right. exists. And she brought up a good point. She goes, I think it's important to know that assholes are there and to know that they that, that they have crazy ideas. She's like, the problem I have is I don't feel, like Joe Rogan can be such a gracious host that he doesn't push back hard enough. Right. Like he allowed, I listened to the Candace Owens episode at first because I was like, I can't believe he's allowing her on the show, but I was hoping like he would hold her to account and what happened is that he let her tell her side, just her like exaggerated side of her story, which does make her seem like it does the thing that you shouldn't do with people like this is it made her seem gracious and it made her seem like a normal person. And truly like the reason she became, she said that she became a conservative because she got doxxed and that's not true. Um, she said she, she became a conservative because she tried to come up with, she was originally a liberal and she became, um, angry when she tried to come up with an anti-bullying app that would dox people, it would release their real information online, which is antithetical to everything that we believe about the internet. Right. 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 And so that happened. She, she said she became a, a conservative overnight and it's that sort of like, it's one thing to be, it's like you say, he is a gracious host, but what he does is he platforms these people and I hate that word as a verb. It sucks. But what he does is allows these people to tell kind of an unfettered 
story about their lives, which is almost inherently untrue. And it sucks that he doesn't have the, or usually doesn't hold them to account. Yeah. He's got, he's in the position to challenge and he doesn't challenge. And that drives me nuts. Right. That, that drives me crazy. Uh, you know, um, I think that, go ahead. Uh, I think that like, honestly, you know, like you said, we both listen to Rogan. It, it, this mm-hmm. some, it's someone that, you know, that, that obviously has influenced a lot of the way I do my show. Um, that's why I have kind of a free flowing right. format. That's why sometimes my, my episodes go three hours is because I'm just like, right. well, people like conversation and that's fine. Um, you know, he's, he's a big influence on me getting started doing what I'm doing as far as, uh, you know, radio side was Opie and Anthony, but he was also on their show a lot, um, back in the day. Um, and then he had his podcast and I was like, well, fuck man, I can just sit around and bullshit with my friends when I want to. And you know, things just, things just change and it, it does bug me that, um, that he doesn't challenge them more because I feel like he's in a good position to set a good example and he doesn't set it sometimes. Yeah. It's what happens when people get too comfortable. He, he has gotten too comfortable with the idea that no one can touch him. And that, that's a really, that's never a good place to be. Um, it's where you get lax with your intellectual credibility and holding yourself to account. I think Joe Rogan's reached that point where it's not that he says things like you said, that will piss off both sides. It's that he has allowed himself to be really lazy with his opinions, like saying masks are for pussies mm-hmm. and that your, your best defense against this disease is your immune system is like insane. It's just, but at the same time on the other side, these are not comments. It also doesn't hold most of his audience. Uh, it, it, the people who say he should be canceled because he's saying irresponsible things also doesn't respect the intelligence of his audience. Right. That everyone is a mindless cog in the machine of the Joe Rogan podcast, right? right. Everyone right. who listens believes everything that he says. And so what happens is that you have this reflexive, because I looked on Twitter, it was, his name was trending today. And what you have is a sort of reflexive knee-jerk ideology where most of the comments I saw on Twitter, and Twitter is not real life as we have to repeat, was that it was everyone trolling the other side, like gifs of like, here is me not letting Joe Rogan be canceled. It's like people put it, sorry, people putting their headphones in their ears like, <laughs> and so it's hard to know from that kind of interaction. Okay. So wait, do you, do you know that you should wear a mask or do you not? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the thing that we need to know is like, you need to know when you can think for yourself. And so, um, the, the, the question I guess remains is like, do his audience members believe and then follow everything he says, which is the fear with Trump. That's what Trump's followers do is that they believe everything he says without fail. And I think that we're just in a dangerous point in history where, Propaganda is real. Like the thing I was going to talk about earlier that ha- this week, Donald Trump shut down radio for Europe. Uh, do you know, have you heard about this story? I didn't hear about this. No. So what happened is that radio for Europe is just something we've done since 1942 uh, to try to make sure that we um, send language and messages to other countries to make sure that they are getting the truth if they choose to listen to it. Right. So it's just our way of making sure that they're not just listening to the propaganda that's within their own country. And this week, uh, Donald Trump, uh, installed someone, he fired the woman who, or the woman resigned who'd been running it since 1992. So 30 years and installed, uh, one of the former editors of Breitbart, and this guy fired everyone at the organization. And the fear is that he's going to turn this thing, which is a normally a nonpartisan 
just foreign uh, foreign relations tool that we've been using since World War II to become a propaganda arm of the Trump administration because everything that Trump touches has to become a propaganda arm for him. And like, that's a really terrifying idea, not right now, but if he got reelected, the idea that he would have a radio station funded by the government to sing his praises overseas is really a terrifying like thing to do. Yeah. Well, especially because, um, white nationalism is is not just a thing here it's all over and if he can resonate with folks around the world easier than he already does i mean here's the other here's the argument is well there's also the internet now i get that i get that there's there's also the internet now but radio reaches still reaches way more people than the internet does because there's still a lot of people in the world that don't have the internet and they do have radios so it's very dangerous um it's a dangerous move even if the outcome is not propagated. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. It's a dangerous move to install someone. I mean, Breitbart is a, they are a self-identified white nationalist website and they believe that white people should be separate from other races. That's the definition of white nationalism. And so it's it's really scary that this is where we are in, in our, in our politics. And yeah, it's just, I, I, I've been thinking more a lot, a lot about, uh, what you're saying about, you know, Twitter's not real life, like reminding yourself, like almost like you're reminding yourself every time you bring it up, you have to like actively be like, it's not real life, but this is not real. Here's what happened on Twitter today. (laughs) You know, here's what happened on my favorite TV show, Twitter. And also this isn't real, right? This isn't real. Um, but social media has been weighing on my mind a lot just because I feel like, I mean, I feel like we've been talking about it for years now, but even more so now because everybody's gotten so entrenched in what they, in, in what they believe and what they, what they put out there. I feel like it's just, I, I have seen mostly anger, like mostly anger. And that's probably due to my timeline and stuff like that. I'm sure there's very nice things out there to, to look at it. And I find those too, but you know, I see, I got friends that are, that are really active on there and they're angry and I've got family that are really active on there and they're angry um, or they're posting things that are meant to be troll type situations to anger other people. And I'm just kind of like, what do you know, at what point, like I, I'm, I was talking to Krista about it last night. I was like, I'm just ready to just undo it all. Like yeah. just not even be I, there. I'm very close to deleting Twitter. I've, I've thought about it a lot. And well, it, so I think a lot of the problems and this is uh, covered on the rabbit hole podcast. Mm. One of the major problems is when both Facebook and Twitter changed their algorithm so that it would um, favor interactions over a timeline. So when we first got, when Twitter was first a thing, young children out there, it was just, they called it a timeline because it was literally in order. Like yeah. the tweets that people released, you saw them in order. And if you weren't on Twitter at the time, you didn't really see it. Now what Twitter does is they kind of like, pluck the tweets out of the ether that they think you're going to interact with. And then they put them on when you get on Twitter and Facebook does the same thing. And so what that does is that prioritizes the things that cause conflict because if a tweet has more hearts or comments and it's going to get more traction and things that more people comment on Facebook, if people are commenting on something on Facebook, it's usually to argue. And so that's a huge problem. And what it does is it further pushes us apart and it can be a really negative thing. So that's, that's the major problem with, with social media is that we have now set it to 
destroy you know <laughs> yeah it's and it's weird it's it's it, you find yourself in a weird line like i've got i've got family like close family and you do too yeah. that that share some wild shit on on social media it's awful it's crazy and and there are people that are in positions of like i've respected you all my life like i've known you for you know forever i love you like at what point or is there a point to step in and say something like I've considered having conversations with family members and I'm just kind of like, I don't even know if it's worth blowing up my relationship with you. Right. Because just, just about, because of what you're putting, because like compared to what you're putting on social media, none of that happens when me and you hang out. Like, so we're, right. I know that you're a good person and I know that you're not, you know, I know that you're not an asshole, but like you look like an asshole on social media. So someone who doesn't know you that well is not going to, so I don't know if it's even right for me to have that conversation. Do you try to let them kind of sort themselves out or do you rip the bandaid off? Like, I, no, I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. I think about my brother who I love very much. My oldest brother, he's, he will be 50 next year. Um, and I think about him a lot and I love him a lot, but the things that he puts on the internet, they're not just, they're not just, I have to make a distinction. They're not just things that are different than what I believe. They're just wrong and usually awfully wrong. And the, the problem that we've gotten into is this cycle of like, he thinks that I'm just disagreeing with him because he's a Republican. And that is not it. What he's saying is factually inaccurate and usually a conspiracy theory. Yeah. And so it, I can't convince him of the truth if we don't share a set of facts. And so I've gone back and forth. Sometimes I argue with my brother and then I regret it immediately. The moment I type something, I regret it. I almost and always regret when I engage yeah. in an argument my with wife someone. Told me, I don't know why you do this. It's like, um, uh, yeah, it's awful. But I am also reading a book currently called rising out of hatred. And it's about the uh, son of the guy who started Stormfront, the Nazi website, mm. white nationalist website. Right. And it's about his son, Darren black, uh, wait, Derek black. Uh, he goes, so he was going to be the, the guy to follow up and be stormfront, you know, neo-Nazi stuff. And he went to college in Florida. And what happened is he went to a super liberal college called new call Co new college in Florida. And his beliefs were changed by the people around him. And they were constantly discussing and talking to him about his views. And that eventually he got to see, Oh, Jewish people are not, you know, the things that I thought. And, um, women of color are not the things that I thought. And so, you know, there are those two philosophies. So, you know, it makes me go back and forth. Like, should I just talk to my brother about this stuff and try to like rationalize with him? Or should, should I leave him in his wormhole of hate? Like, I don't know. It's a tough decision, man, because like you care about people like you do and you don't, I don't know. You care about people and you don't want them to be, a misinformed but b like even if even if what they if they truly believe like something that that's not like completely false right if it's just something that doesn't agree with you fine i'm okay with that but like like what is their what is how does it look when they put it out there is it put it out there as like oh this this was a lovely article about blah 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 or is it like see fucking clinton's chair right. you, you know that's <laughs> you know, like and so I always, I always have a mental argument with myself over that because like, it's usually, 
And I try to humanize myself to him on the internet because I, he would never say any of these things to my face, but he posts all these memes about how awful and terrible liberal people are and progressives are. And, you know, I usually interject like, Hey, still your brother. Hey, like, you know, you know me. me, you know me and I'm not a crazy person and we can disagree without you resorting to calling me a monster. Because regardless of, you, you know, you may say, well, it's not you, but that's what you're doing is you're labeling everyone so that you feel better. And ultimately it's about his insecurity, you know, yeah. and it's not about me. And that's a hard thing to, that's a hard road to hoe too, because, you know, he sees me because I grew up in the racist hometown where I grew up and I got out and I changed because I encounter views that challenge my beliefs and he hasn't. And he he thinks it of his brainwashing and I don't, you know, like I, the best way to ruin bigotry is to see the world and see people other than yourself. hundred percent. Yeah. See yeah. like experiences. Like I can't, I can't, I, I, anybody I've talked to, like, obviously I'm not like an old wise man by any means, but you know, when I mean, you, you're a very wise man <laughs> for sure. But, but like old. you're a young wise man, <laughs> young wise man. Um, but like it's, Working in retail when I did, working, you know, now doing, you know, IT stuff, you work with a lot of people coming out of college, um, mm -hmm. a lot of people who maybe never went to college, but, you know, now they're in the workforce and, and all that stuff. And, you know, they, I can't stress enough to people like, go see the fucking world, like go to a place that is not where you grew up, go and do this and that. And, and you, you, you can start to see the differences in people and, and maybe you can start to understand. I'm not saying go seek out someone and have a conversation with them right away, but just go and be in an area that's different than where you're at. Right. And it just changes your perspective so much. Like, you know, the last time, I mean, it's been years now, but the last time I went to Peru, I was old enough to remember being there. Cause I'd only been when I was a child. Then I went when I was like 22. Right. Right. And like, then you see like, Holy shit, this is real poverty. This isn't like, this isn't yeah. like a panhandler at home poverty. This is like, these are children who are living outside because they don't have a home. It's not, right. it's not the same thing. It's very, very different. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it forces a perspective. It, it forces you to, and like use that, that, um, that empathy muscle, you know? Yeah. It's contact theory. It's the idea, you know, if my brother, you know, I'm a teacher by day, those who don't know on the podcast. And if people, like my brother would only spend a few days with me at school. They'd see what they were missing. You know, the, the beauty of seeing the beauty of being in a diverse population and just the, the love that, I don't know, it's, it's all lovey dovey stuff, but it's being around people who are not like you constantly makes you think about who you are. And I just value that in life. It's just a really valuable thing to, to experience. Yeah, it is. And it, it just, it, it, it subconsciously forces a perspective on you, you know, and, and whether you know it or not. Um, and it's, and it's a way where you don't have to hurt your brain to get some perspective, right? Like right. you're not, we're not asking you to read like a 5,000 page book to get perspective. Like right. just go and, you know, spend a long weekend somewhere that's not home. Right. Um, yeah. The thing, the other thing I'm trying to get away from that, that is really, really prevalent in social media and just in conversation um, you know, I, I have my wife remind me of it all the time and, and we try to keep each other in check is using the term. She definitely keeps you in check yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is using the term everyone or they yeah. like they yeah. say, 
they say this like she's good about being like who you mean when you say they like what do you like who's everyone and it's like because because it's easy it's, it's like saying literally all the time right like yeah. i literally hate that like it's it's the same thing it's like do you literally did you write it down and read it and you hate yeah. it like it's yeah like they is one person on twitter you're like oh they say oh it's one guy yeah it's, it's hard man it, yeah when you especially if you if you go out of your way to recognize that like mm -hmm. it's it's hard to it's hard to not just sink into that because it's so easy to subconsciously divide things on a line and i hate that i really do and and it's honestly why the the social media has just been such a bummer and i think a lot of it too has to do with the fact that you know, because we were talking about family, and it's like, well, what, what if, what have they had to do, and why are they, what, what has caused this change in their habits? And I was like, well, we have been stuck inside, and what are you going to do? You got your phone out, and you're just like, yeah, it's just, it's hard, and it's one of the things that Jonathan Haidt talks about. He was on, um, I'm a big, I'm a big Sam Harris fan. He's a, he's another contrarian that a lot of people are like, believe like a lot of people don't like his opinions. Cause he can, he's a fire starter. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, Jonathan Haidt was on his podcast recently and taught, he's taught, he talked about, um, uh, social media and that, that, you know, that's kind of the one thing that is counter to his idea of coddling the mind. He says the more time you spend online, the, that's not actually helpful for you. And especially kids, um, uh, they, even though they should encounter opinions that are different from their own, they should not spend a lot of time on social media. So like Bo's not going to have a phone and Instagram and whatever else when he's a little kid, because what happens is that it is extremely toxic for young women and it's, it's bad for boys, but you know, they have, they have different brains, he, he says. And, so social media is not something that kids need to consume because it creates a really dysmorphic like self image of their bodies and who they should be and their ideas and thoughts. And it's just really bad for them in their minds. And so I think it's true for adults too. I think the more time you spend on social media, the worse it is for you because what happens when we go to Twitter, which again, is not real life. Uh, we go for battle. It's almost like you go in because what happens is I don't follow the president, but very often I'll check his tweets just to see what's being said. And if you click on, you should, first of all, you should never read the comments. Um, but what I God. do is I look at the comments and it's the same, it's the same comments and it's just this idea. It's confirmation bias is what you say earlier. It's just like, okay, that guy said what I expected and that guy said what I expected. So, you know, MAGA hat 400 just said this thing like, and you know, this other guy said this and it's just we're just talking past each other. We're not talking about ideas. We're yeah. just trying to own the other side. And I mean, the unfortunate thing is that the Republican party has been kind of, they've resorted to just, they do everything to own the libs and they don't actually have, they're the party of no ideas. Right. Uh, it used to be that they said the the Republicans are the party of bad ideas and the Democrats are the party of no ideas. And, um, I think it's, it's the Republicans just have no ideas. They, they just, they're riding a sinking ship and I'm just curious to know what's going to happen in November if he loses, because they, this is unsustainable for them. And a functions, if you have two parties, you can't have one functioning party. And as many problems as the Democrats have right now, they are the functioning party. Mm. I mean, they're terrible politicians usually, and very bad at, they're often good at governance, but very bad at politics, very bad at running elections. That's why they lose so often. Yeah. But we can't have a democracy with one functioning 
body. It's just, it's crazy. It's just, it's, we, we are living in an insane time. And I just, I want the fever to break. And James Carville uh, hosts a podcast. And so the only way to defeat Trump for good is to just beat the shit out of him this year so that no one will want to pick that up after November. Because uh, Rick Wilson, who wrote the book, everything Trump touches dies said that if Donald Trump wins in November, that Donald Trump Jr. will run for president in 2024. Absolutely. And then I, I was telling Chris that the other day. I was like, I was like, man, we will not stop seeing the name Trump if if he wins again. Like it just even if it fails in 2024, we'll have to put up with it for another cycle. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll have to put up with it for another election cycle. And the only way to beat it is to just beat it so badly that no one will want to pick it up again. Well, yeah, you just want to know that it's you know you want people to know it's a bad fucking idea. Like, pick another, pick a different Republican, please. <laughs> like, be, yeah, pick some. like Barry Goldwater in sixty. You know, Barry Goldwater got shellacked in sixty four, and so no one really picked it up again until Reagan. Uh, Reagan was kind of a new Barry Goldwater, and so I hope the same thing ha- happens here. A lot of people are saying too, the writing kind of is on the wall, right? The the writing's kind of on the wall for for uh, you know, I'm not just talking about presidency, but you know, going down the line. Let's talk about congressmen, right? We got. We've got a, a lady here in Georgia. I don't know if you read about her, Marjorie something or another. No, There's, I only know about Kelly Loeffler. No, uh, who's Mar? So I, I don't even know her last name. I'm glad I don't. But she was she was unan like not unanimously, but she was widely condemned by other Republican congressmen that that voiced support for her because she said some racist shit. Like she said yeah. some racist shit, and like now she's doubling down on it while mm-hmm. while even like really conservative assholes like uh, you know like jody heist or someone like that are right. are trying you know are, are being like nah she's bad news they're starting to distance themselves from that rhetoric because they can see i think they can feel the tide shifting like especially in georgia i mean georgia is a, it's not quite a toss-up state yet but i mean trump's only like a point ahead at this at this point if things keep going this terribly there's a good chance george might flip this year I mean, it's just that it's the tide is shifting and I think the rats know it's time to jump off and at least build a new boat, you know, build a different Republican boat that isn't fucking crazy. The most infuriating thing, though, will be if Trump loses and the Republicans then say, uh, Trump, who never knew him like that sort of thing happening is is my big fear is people like Lindsey Graham. coming back in 2021 and saying like, I was never really a fan of Trump. I just wanted a yada, yada, yada. And Republicans going, all right, we'll give you a mulligan. Let's keep going. Cause that's I, what Republicans do. I remember the primaries. I remember the yeah. Republican primaries and everybody was just like, that Trump's a crazy person. Like, and now they are MAGA to the max. And I'm like, I remember you saying he was a bunch of bullshit and you yeah, were like, you were a Ted Cruz guy or whatever the fuck. <laughs> you know trump called ted cruz's wife ugly i would i would have fisticuffs with that man before i would support him for president it just shows how craven and just it's disgusting that's the one thing they've got though that's the one thing that that republicans have is they will just lock in together regardless of who's there my hope is that that is that uh, Joe Biden wins Iowa, Texas, and Georgia, and the Republican Party just has to completely rethink things because they cannot, with the way that Texas is going, with the way that Georgia is going, there's no way that the Republicans can have anything but regional dominance if if things keep going this way. They're yeah. going to have to re- rethink things the way they should have in 2012. Man, I just... But anyway. Uh, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting saving the world with you, Tyler. It I really know. is. 
we had two hours to change things and we didn't quite get there, but I think we made some headway. I think we did. We at least got the point that Twitter's not real life. Absolutely. I was about to say, we, we did establish the fact that the new fiction book called Twitter.com is Twitter, wonderful yeah. fiction, wonderful fiction, very enraging, very, uh, very good character development sometimes, yeah. sometimes oh. not so much. Um, the the latest Russell McCain novel is out. The last one, right? It's done. Six feet south. Six Indeed. Feet south. It's does, are the physical copies out yet, or is it still just digital? Uh, it's just well, actually, the paperback's done. Um, but Amazon's having a lot of issues shipping out paperback copies. They've been delayed, I guess, because of coronavirus. Mm. So I don't have any in physical stores yet. But I think you can buy them online. It just might take a while to get to you. Okay. I, I want I want to get my hands on that because uh, I want to see how it all closes out. But I mean, you know, you can also check out Tyler's uh, brand new podcast, uh, Music City Murder. Uh, yes, two episodes a, so far, right? Two episodes. Two episodes so far. It's a true crime podcast about a Nashville. I'm not a native, but a Nashville guy talking about Nashville crimes and the history of the city. So I try to mix history with murder. I know the second one just came out this week, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I listened to the first one. Fucking excellent. Like it's just. It's interesting because it's something I hadn't heard about before, and it's a different to me. It was a different take on 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 a true crime thing for me because it's obviously Nashville based. Um, it also kind of loops in that music industry, so it's it's good music history at the same time, yeah. which I really enjoyed. It yeah. wasn't just solely about the crime. It was like here's the kind of who who String Bean was. Like here's here's how you know what he was on, what he did, and who he played with, and. It was, he really built up, you know, I had to go Google image him after you, I heard you talk about him. I was yeah. like, he's, he sounds like he looks ridiculous and I want to see it right uh, now. Um, yeah. So uh, I would, I would highly, highly suggest, especially if you're, you know, if you're a music history fan, if you are a, uh, a true crime fan, it goes right up your alley. All right. Yeah. The next episode is about the first Jewish lynching in America, which happened in 1860. Everyone thinks about the uh, Leah Frank case in Georgia, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, the first lynching it happened at Jewish lynching actually happened in Franklin, Tennessee, right down the road. So that's the next episode. Holy and shit. it's a true crime story within a true crime story. So there are two true crime stories to talk about. Inception, true crime. Yeah, inception. <laughs> yeah. That's it was a true crime story that spawned a true crime story. Guys, if you want to check out his stuff, all you got to do is go to Amazon, type in T. Blake Braddy, and it will bring up all of his books. Like They will be right there. There's even a little bio for him. It's amazing. You should check it out. Um, the the Rolson McCain series, I can't suggest it more highly. The, also, uh, Suicide Blondes, really fun read. Um, Thanks, man. Absolutely appreciate it. If you want to follow him on uh, Twitter, it's at Blake Braddy. And, or not, uh, or don't. Just delete Twitter instead. You could delete Twitter and say that you follow him and he's going to love you just as much, but join his, he's got a newsletter too. So check out his website. Yeah. Uh, is that still tblakebrady.com? Yeah. I don't really keep up with the website anymore, but okay. yes, you can do that. You can it's do fine. that. He's, he's you easily can. reachable. I'm everywhere. Reach out to yeah, him I'm in reachable. that fictional world yeah. of, of Twitter. <laughs> Twitter or uh, Instagram, just tblakebrady on Instagram. That's where I'm more uh, active. Hell yeah. I appreciate it, man. Give me just a second. I'm going to wrap oh, up the show. You. All right. One second. That was fun. That went by too fast. World. Uh, if you want to check out the show, it's at Lopez Radio on all social media. LopezRadio.com, of course. I'll leave links up for uh, all of Tyler's stuff. And uh, yeah, just check it out there. 